You know, guys, when you get to be our age, finding the motivation to get back in shape can be hard. It's just plain tough to find a routine and to stick with it. Good news. FitBod is a fitness app that is anything but routine. It tailors your workouts to fit your life, your goals, your gear, and even your schedule, so you can avoid burnout. And FitBod helps keep up your momentum by mixing in different exercises, reps, supersets, and circuits. Best yet, FitBod has over 1,000 demonstration videos, so you can learn the right way to do each exercise. It's time to ditch the boring routines and kickstart your fitness journey. Add FitBod to your workout essentials. Join today to get your personalized workout plan. Get 25% off your subscription or try the app for free at fitbod.me slash Zabe. That's F-I-T-B-O-D dot M-E slash Zabe. Today on the Zabecast, there it was, the big red shirt. Alone atop the leaderboard on a Sunday at a major, and then it all disappeared. What happened? We'll ask my former swing coach and PGA instructor John Rodas. Josh Hader's warm reception, right or wrong? And a two and ten football team is in their league championship. All that plus crazy old bag Roseanne. You got forty-five minutes burning a hole in your pocket, then buckle up and let's go! <laughs> Here we go! Monday, July 23rd, 2018. Thank you for the download. It is all up, up, and away from here. Training camps open this week league-wide, and Lord Football once again begins to stir and awaken from his autumnal slumber. Yes, it's going to be glorious. Redskins open later this week. i got a piece due up. At red at uh, zabe.com. It'll post at noon today uh, about just my first, first draft early blush on the upcoming Redskins season. I figure I'll do a quick blush right now before camps get started. I'll do another one after training camp is over, and then I'll just keep readjusting my expectations for the team every single week, which is kind of like how everyone does football, right? It's every week is a crisis. Every win streak is glory. Every losing, every two game losing streak is like, oh my God, that's it. We're doomed. That's the glory of the NFL. It is an episodic series for 16 consecutive weeks, technically 17, but you get my point. All right, let's begin with some baseball. I got an email, not an email. I got a tweet the other day, which I Thankfully, had the, the good horse sense to say, now I'm not going to answer this tweet here on Twitter. <laughs> Are you crazy? In 140, 280 characters? No. But I will address it in my own way, in my own forum, on the Zabecast. And the tweet was simply, how did you feel about Josh Hader getting a standing ovation when he uh, took the mound for the Brewers at home? Well, how did I feel about it? I don't know if I felt Anyway, in particular, I thought, okay, it's interesting. I I guess I get it. I think I get it. Of course, this is going to become the hot take factory du jour on Monday here in sports radio land, and there's going to be a lot said about it. And I don't discount anyone's take on it, whether it's hot take, medium take, cool take, you name it. But it's, it's going to generate a lot of discussion. Before we go any further, you do know that uh, Ray Rice got a standing ovation as well when he first took the field again for the Baltimore Ravens in training camp. I believe it, it might have been preseason, actually, uh, after the domestic violence incident that was caught on hotel security. This was before the league swooped back in and said, oh, wait a minute, hold on a second. We can't let you play football. And he has never played since. So these things do happen. The big question is, what were the fans saying with that standing ovation? And I think the answer to that is, it's impossible to tell exactly. 
You're you're anyone who says, well, this is what the fans were saying by that standing ovation. You can't you can't really know because a standing ovation is sort of a collective act that happens without any prompting, no directing. There wasn't anything on the scoreboard that said, "Okay, everybody, please stand now and welcome back Josh Hader, uh, who once sent out racist, uh, bigoted, whatever you know, all those horrible tweets from you know when he was seventeen years old." There was no collective action like, hey, this was, there was no sheets that were handed out before the game. Okay, if Hater comes in the game, I want everyone to, to stand up and applaud to let him know that we feel this or that or something else. It was just sort of an impromptu, uh, okay, well, he's coming in. What do we do? Do we just sit on our hands? Do we boo? The big question becomes, what's the appropriate response? Because you you want to let him know if you are a citizen of the world who cares a little bit about these kind of things, you want to let them know that, hey, man, not cool. That shit from when you were seven, not cool. But you see, he already knows that it's not cool, and he has owned up to it in every possible way. So as a fan, what do you do? You certainly are not going to boo him at home. Could you not stand up and cheer? Yes, you can simply not stand up and cheer, which I'm going to believe a decent chunk of the fans did at Miller Park. I didn't do a quick scan of the crowd. I didn't try to count, but I'm I'm guessing at least 25% of the fans were not standing and cheering or not standing and clapping in a standing ovation. So what do you do? What's the appropriate response? Is any applause... Okay. Should he go two weeks of appearances with no clapping whatsoever, both before he pitches a pitch and afterwards? Should we not show his picture on the Jumbotron? It's possible that many fans were applauding something a bit larger. They might have been applauding the fact that, hey, you fucked up, but you met it head on, you were genuinely contrite, and you have vowed to be a better person. Maybe that's what the applause was for. Maybe the applause was for saying, you know what? We are not playing this game. And by this game, I mean the modern game of off with his head. He's unredeemable. He has done something that is deemed to be awful. Maybe the fan reaction was, you know what? This is not something that we're going to ruin your life over. This might have been a pushback against the viral shaming culture that we live in, in which things are dragged up from seven years ago on a stupid website and then treated as, well, this is really who you actually are today. Maybe that's what the fans were applauding. It's impossible to tell, though, because sometimes fans just get caught up in the moment where everyone's standing around next to them, and you're like, oh, I guess I should better stand up. All right, this is our guy. I don't know. I don't know. But if you want to make the jump and say that the mostly white Milwaukee crowd was applauding their racist relief pitcher because deep down they, too, are unredeemable White supremacist racists. If you want to make that jump, well then, go right ahead. Um, in fact, I'm sure there are outlets and, and writers that will do just that. Because it's an easy one to make. And it's going to get click, 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 click. You know, boom hour. You got to tell you what, that, that dang old internet, man. You got to chase them clicks right yeah, there. Yeah, man, I'll tell you what, that dang mm-hmm. old internet, man. You just go on there and point and click. Get in there and talk about www.wcom. You yeah. got them naked chicks on there, man. You go click, 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 click. It's real easy, man. Yeah. So it was a weird thing. There's no question about it. It was probably, it didn't seem quite right. But then again, it might have been something larger. Frankly, I'm amazed at some things in life these days. Like, I'm still amazed that Kobe Bryant has been fully redeemed in the public eye, or at least in the eye of those power brokers in Hollywood and in television, where they just kind of gloss over the fact that he he raped a girl in Colorado. He was, he was not convicted of rape. Uh, you can't say that. He wasn't convicted. I can say this because I'm not a court of law. 
You go and you read the details of the case. And even me, who tends to want to always say, well, let's hold on a second, because false allegations do happen, and I would hate to ruin a guy's reputation based on false allegations. After reading all the details and knowing what happened in Kobe Bryant's case, yeah, he basically raped that clerk. But he got away with it. He got away with it because he's got good lawyers, and in the end, she sort of buckled under the weight of, do I really want to get up there on that stand and follow through with this? She did get a settlement from him, by the way, a uh, undisclosed civil settlement. But yeah, Kobe Bryant is not only not ostracized to this day, but he is a fully worshipped star. He won an Oscar for a stupid fucking book, Dear Basketball. I mean, come on. I, that To me, that amazes me, but, you know, what am I going to do? Change my day just because uh, Kobe Bryant is still a bona fide star and has basically suffered no repercussions? Hadn't raped anybody since, so at least there's that. Chris Brown still makes records. I think I haven't bought one in a while. You know, after he beat the living shit out of Rihanna and those photos were just unbelievable to see. I thought, well, that's it. He's done. Uh, no, no, not, not, not technically. No, his career has taken a hit, but that to me amazes me. You know, once upon a time in life, we'd make a mistake and you'd say, oops, and you'd, you'd own it. You would apologize. You'd show remorse. You'd take steps to fix it if you can. And then if it was a genuine mistake, which was unintentional, then you were basically welcome back into civil society. Essentially, society said, hey, we all make mistakes. You're not a bad guy. You just hurt somebody with your actions, and you have done what is necessary to make it right. Okay. We are getting further and further away from that all the time. And once upon a time, I'd probably have written about this hater thing on my website, and I would have maybe tweeted out a link to it, And then it becomes an invitation to an argument. Because everything on the internet is now an invitation to an argument. I have no interest in arguing this with anybody. I'm just sharing my opinions on it. I'm not trying to change anyone's mind either. Well, why are you putting it out there? Well, maybe I'm putting something out on the internet just to say, here's my opinion, here's where I stand. And if, if it's an opinion that other people go, well, thank God I'm not the only one that thinks that. Then I give a little bit of solace to someone else that says, oh, okay, that that person thinks like me. Or it it might just be a case of, hey, you know what? I feel like I needed to organize my thoughts on this in writing. But the internet has become one giant invitation to argue with each other. And that, unfortunately, is the way things are now. Twitter, of course, has become the mob of opinions. And... Once upon a time, I was thinking about this, the general public was not heard from on matters great nor small. The general public had no platform other than literally a soapbox on the corner of a street where you could stand up and go, I I totally disagree with this trade deal. And then people would look at you like you're crazy and, you know, maybe call the police on you. Who knows? Or maybe the public could get heard if they had a letter to the editor. Oh, look at this. Uh... Myrna, over there in uh, in uh, Quiet Town, says she is not a fan of this dot, 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 dot. That's about it. Nowadays, not only is the public heard from, they're heard from in mob form, thanks to social media. Hell, let's go back even before social media. So the internet gave people more of a platform to say, I, I disagree with this, or oh, I take great umbrage in this. Okay. Um, how would you express your unhappiness with Josh Hader and the reception he got or any other issue in sports or in life prior to social media? You could write a blog about it. Oh, I've got my blog. And your blog might have been as obscure as (laughs) www.creedthoughts.gov or whatever fake blog that Ryan set up for Creed in the office. Yeah, you could blog. And 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 who would know about your blog? How would people find your blog? How would you promote your blog? You couldn't. So your your angry shout 
would become an angry shout into the wind that is not heard by pretty much anybody. Boy, I would love to go back to the days in which the public is not heard from. Now, that sounds awful, doesn't it? How dare you say that the, the, the public's not heard from? It's not helpful. It's not healthy, the, the world we're living in now, where the public weighs in on every little thing and weighs in so virulently and with such a hair trigger, I'm going to fight you and argue you and call you all kinds of names and, and just lose my ever-loving mind. Because nowadays, big companies get scared by the online mob and they make rash decisions based on the online mob and it has real life consequences just because people now have an angry mob like platform to go I'm so upset about this it's not good nor helpful the Papa John's thing is a case in point forget Papa John himself Papa John Schnatter okay forget whatever you know damages he suffered because he's a billionaire and fuck him and he should know better just put him aside I'm talking about the, there are more than a few African-American-owned Papa John's franchisees who are being hurt by this big time because the brand is in tatters. Now think about this. In an age in which the public was not heard from, and you don't have to go back that far, hell, just go back pre-social media, how much of a stir would this report of a single word uttered by the founder in a conference call in a seminar designed to, (laughs) irony alert, prevent future PR mishaps, how much of a stir would it have caused? Would it have led to a flash fire in which by the end of the week his name was coming down from a football stadium at the University of Louisville? Probably not. And if sales are down at African-American-owned Papa John's franchises by 20% because of all this, That's real damage. These are families who have their whole life invested into this business. And there's nowhere they go to get that 20% back. There's not going to be a plus 20% bump somewhere down the line. That's just money lost. It's an interesting world we're living in. Josh Hader did not deserve a standing ovation just for coming in the game, but maybe the fans were giving it to him for something a lot larger or a lot more varied than people want to assign to it. How about a 2-10 and ten football team making their league's Super Bowl? Well, it's happened. The Washington Valor are heading to Arena Bowl 31. After this little nugget got tweeted out, uh, Dan Steinberg of the D.C. Sports Bog replied simply, they were 2-10. and ten. I'll be honest, I was not following Valor football this year. This is indoor football, by the way. Arena Bowl football. Arena football. Arena football? Yes, arena football. How come that guy's running backwards? Hey, this is arena football. Didn't you ever hear of a four-point conversion? <laughs> oh, arena football sucks. Yeah. Uh, here's what happened. First of all, it's caught my eye because after Dan Steinberg tweeted out they were 2-10 and 10 and they are headed to the Arena Bowl 31, Ted Leonsis, who owns the Washington Valor, simply replied, trying to, build, trying to rebuild league, employ players and coaches, and provide pride in communities and help small businesses in downtown Detroit. Okay. So not a, not a scathing rebuke of Dan Steinberg's tweet. But certainly one that sort of is like, okay, well, here's what's going on. Apparently, apparently, well, first of all, Ted owns the Valor. Ted also owns all the rest of the league. He owns all, all four teams in the Arena League. Yes, 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 yes. And, and so, therefore, um, he's trying to rebuild Arena football. I know. Arena football used to be a much bigger, more thriving enterprise. It produced the likes of, uh, it produced guys like our own Jay Gruden, Arena Bowl legend, back when the league was thriving in multiple cities. Well, Ted's trying to build it back up again. So apparently, since there's only four teams in the 
entire league, well, you can get a case where uh, you know a 2-10 team during the season gets on a heater and ends up playing in the championship game. Heck, there, there's only four teams. Two of the four are going to have to play in the championship. Kudos to them. All right, so U.S. or British Open is in the books. Francesco Molinari is your winner. I caught up with my buddy John Ronis to talk further about what almost happened on Sunday with the big red shirt Tiger Woods. Good evening. Good evening, Johnny Ronis of the Ronis Golf Academy at River Creek and, of course, at uh, Chantilly once a week on Wednesdays, joining me here right. on the Zabecast. What's up, Johnny Rowe? Rowe? How are you? By the way, uh, Ronis... i got home. I know. i got home from the uh, shore. I, you know what? I'll tell more about that in just a second. John Ronis today did a hell of a deal. He drove all the way in. <laughs> on a Sunday morning at his own time, at his own dime, to host the Capital Golf Gang because I, yours truly, was out of town at the Cambridge Hyatt in Maryland, Eastern Shore. More on that in a second. And uh, I bailed on the guys. I said, hey, you want to do a live show next week for the British Open like you always do? And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, that's great, Sam. I'd love to do that. And then on Thursday, I'm like, yeah, I'm leaving. My wife says we got to get away for the weekend. So Johnny Ronis went in, hosted the show. Ron, our buddy, said he's got 18 matches or he was tired or had sand in his in his underwear, had to go wash it out. John right. Gould said he was tired because he was driving up and down from Central Virginia and it was raining and his left foot hurt or some of their excuse. But you, John Ronis, posted. God bless you. You can, you can read that text if you want that says, I'll be there even if I'm alone. <laughs> and, and, of course, thank you to our own Christopher Johnson, program yeah. director, part-time host, and board op. He went back behind the board for the first time in years to run the show. Yeah, he was so, unbelievable. It was good. Yeah, it was good, and he was a big golf fun. guy as well. So yeah. uh, congratulations. Thank you for doing that. So let's talk, oh, let's talk some more golf here. So, yes, I watched – Pretty much the whole tournament. Uh, in the back seat of the Honda Pilot, iPad in my lap, cell phone in my right hand, and I was working both of them furiously. I'm like, okay, I'm watching the feed on my iPad. Okay, it's glitching a little bit, but no, it's okay. It's okay. On my right hand, Twitter, texting, check the leaderboard, go to the Open Championship app, back and forth and back and forth. Before I knew it, I like literally looked up. I was like, oh. We're over, in, we're over in Virginia now. How about this? Perfect. Perfect trip. Yeah. My 16-year-old daughter got some valuable hours driving behind the wheel. My wife was oh, wow. backseat. My wife was backseat driving her from the front seat. You know, slow down, Megan. Well, we're here. Da, da, da. And I'm in the back seat, just blissfully unaware of everything. <laughs> perfect. But it was, a, it was a hell of a tournament. And here's how good it was at one point. We stopped just before the Bay Bridge, John, to uh, switch out. My wife didn't want young Megan driving over the bridge. I'm like, let her drive over the bridge. It's got railings. What's the worst could happen? Uh, but she's like, yeah, nah. your boy here, your boy here had a full blown anxiety attack two weeks ago driving over. You that. did? Oh yeah. So Never you don't been do over it before in my life. Not good on bridges. Okay. Full blown thought I was going to pass out. How are you on tunnels, by the way? Tunnels, I'm fine. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. In the rain, okay. Fine. Snow, okay. Fine. Okay. Night? I think it's a fear of falling off the bridge. Yeah, yeah, that would suck. It would probably be fatal, almost certainly fatal. I think fatal. it would be. Yeah. I think it might be. Yeah. Anyway, okay, and, and and every now and then someone does drive off the Bay Bridge. Yeah, occasionally it happens. I didn't want to be that person. <laughs> okay. So anyway, we stopped because uh, we're going to switch out. It happened to be just about noon. And we stopped at that McDonald's coming home. For those that live in the D.C. area, there's a McDonald's just short of the bridge over on the eastern shore side that gets a ton of traffic. And my wife and daughters get out of the car, and they're like, do you want to come in? Do you need to use the bathroom? Do you want any food? <laughs> and I go, no, 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 goodbye. Just leave the car running. I, I gave up John Rodas a chance to piss and a chance to eat McDonald's. McDonald's? Yep. And that's unprecedented territory when i'm on a road trip like i couldn't believe i was doing that but i literally was like there's a six-way lead at the top i'm not leaving my ipad right now yeah there was some serious drama there in the middle of the round 
at least the middle of Tiger's round. Yes, exactly. And that's where we're going to start with Tiger Woods. It looked for all the world like this is not only happening, but he is going to moonwalk home with this thing. And then the 11th and 12th holes happened. Let me hear yeah, your I instructor. Thought... Let me hear your instructor's take after that magnificent tenth hole where he hits a daring shot out of the bunker to about twenty feet short, almost made the birdie, and he's in the lead by a full shot by the time he stands on the eleventh tee. Go, take yeah, it from there. and 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 I thought he was going to take a two shot lead standing there after on the tenth. You know, he had about a twenty foot putt on the tenth hole. Yeah, after that incredible wedge shot that he hit sky high. They showed the shot tracker on that. It was unbelievable. Left the screen, then, as a matter of fact, oh, it, was it was so high. Incredible, it went off and, the screen. And how about how about the rebound, the recoil? The oh, recoil was... was vintage 2000. I think Dan Hicks said, "Is this 2000?" Yeah, and I think that Johnny Miller said, "I've never seen anyone recoil with a wedge like that before." That's amazing. It was incredible. It was okay, absolutely incredible. So, so he stands he's... on the 11th tee. Now he's going back into the wind. At yeah. Carnoustie. You've played Carnoustie, right? I have. I have. And, you know, it just – he was doing a great job with everything, and he was keeping everything low. But his mistake is he'll lose a ball occasionally – well, with the iron anyways, he'll lose a ball occasionally. He'll just sail a little bit right. But when that wind is blowing, it was blowing, I guess, about 20 to – I guess gusts up to 30. But the, you, they, they On the screen, they showed 17 to 20 or thereabouts. But as you know okay. – as you know, over there in Scotland, it's a heavy wind. Whatever yeah. the number is, it's just heavier. It's more persistent. Yeah, and unfortunately, he he hit that he hit two in a row, basically that were right rough. Yeah. And then, just as a major, you have to have or you can't have a bad break. Just we well, had a good break on the second shot on eleven, and that was your basic amateur. The grass gobbles up the hosel of the club, which most amateurs don't know that. When you have the rough, when you come through that rough, the rough grabs the hosel of the club, and the rest of the club flips. And that's why you get these pulls from heavy rough. These guys are so strong, it doesn't happen as much, but some of that hay grabbed the hosel, and he yanked it. And then, you know, just kind of made, kind of butchered it from there. And the next hole was just a bad second shot. And there you go, double bogey. The rest of his round was flawless. All right, let's go back to number 11T. Here's what I don't understand. The way Carnoustie was so baked out, you could play it from the rough pretty much anywhere, which was unlike 2007. It was certainly unlike 99, where the course was lush and sadistic and guys literally couldn't advance it. I, I understand keeping a low stinger out of the wind and letting it run. Why not hit driver on 11 and 12? Yeah, I think... Those are not tight holes. Blast driver, and if you're in the rough, you're hitting a 7-iron, not a 4-iron out of that rough. I agree with you, and I think, I I honestly think that, you know, Tiger kind of, uh, he he looks up to Nicholas as, you know, the the one and only, and he's got the major championships, and Nicholas used to always say that you just come up with a game plan and you stick to it no matter what's going on out there. So his game plan was irons off the tee. I really think his game plan was irons off of those tees. And, and frankly, I think you're absolutely right. First of all, the course softened up just a little bit because there was also rain overnight right. that they talked about. And it was a, a stronger wind. So that stronger wind and not rolling down the fairway, you're left on some of these holes with 220, 250. Maybe they were downwind on 17 and 18. Uh, no, 17 was straight into the wind. Um, but one of those holes had it was like two fifty a part three two fifty playing two thirty or something, but that's a long shot. And when you can't have it land on the green and stay, you're just asking too much of yourself. Yeah. And then if you start to work it, like you want to hit a high fade, now that thing into the wind is going to get blown off the planet. So you got to come in there with you know kind of uh, Kisner stingers or or Rory stingers, and and unfortunately you can't do that with a two iron. Yeah. By the way, that uh, the bounce he got off the gallery at eleven, it yeah. hit. It hit a Caps fan from Annapolis, Maryland. It hit his cell phone. I no, probably what? busted the shit out of a cell phone. Bounced it way back into play. I think what would have happened is if that bounce didn't occur and it was over there, thirty yards left of the green at eleven, 
Yep. He, w- he would have been a generic splash to the middle of the green, two-putt bogey, which might have been enough to sort of save him. What happened was he got a good enough bounce. He was tempted. He was tempted to try to get it up and down, and that led to a double. Yeah, you know what? I think you're exactly right, and I think you're right. He got greedy with that shot and then you know caught the top of that bunker and, and did what it did. And, and that double bogey, uh, you know, I can't say it derailed him completely, but holy smokes, there was no one under par at that time. Molinari was just a robot at even yeah. par, parring every hole. But everyone else, I believe, on the front nine was a combined 17 or 20-something yeah. over at that point. And here he is at two under going into 11. It was his tournament to win, and, then a, and unfortunately yeah. he didn't. And then at 12, he hits iron again, which I thought that's a driver hole. It's got a nice right-to-left wind, so it's an easy play for a right-hander to just go ahead and let it ride the wind. Uh, He's in the rough, and then he goes rough to rough and can't get it close on his third shot to try to save par. That was a huge mistake. And then just that little hiccup was all it took, and then here comes the rest of the field flooding back in. Yeah, and you know, when you sit there and you say, well, why didn't you hit driver there? Yet he pulled out driver on 18. You know, an 18 is, is 10 Did yards he? wide. Oh, yeah. And the guy screamed in the middle of his swing. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. And, um, and, and he, he still, still, you know, still hit it good. It. Yeah, he yeah. towed it, towed it, but it was still almost in the fairway. Yeah. And Johnny Miller said he wouldn't re-tee it. Uh, you know what I mean? Exactly. Well, okay. So the net net is, look, he is, it's amazing that he is playing this well. We are We are one year and two months removed from him being asleep, crashed yeah. on the side of the road, <laughs> hepped up on goofballs, not playing any golf at the time, hoping that this latest back surgery, what is it, number four that he's had? That's, who knows because he who hides knows? some of them. Right. So he's hoping his fourth back surgery holds up. He's hepped up on all these goofballs and pain pills. 14 months ago, now he's here competing, leading the British on Sunday in some of the worst conditions, not worst, but brutal wind conditions, with the speed to recoil on wedges. It's a miracle. It's a miracle, even if he didn't win the damn tournament. And you know what? It's it's not only a miracle, and, and you give the medical people great kudos and everything that they did, but it is a testament to someone who has everything and still wants to put that work in to be back in the winner's circle. Did you, you know, hear him say why most the most overriding thing that drives him these days? I hope it's his kids because I was just yes. going to say there was exactly there was you the, didn't hear this. The end of he said no, the end of the he, tournament. Yeah. He hugged his kids, yes. and you could see that he really wants to not just tell him dad used to be good. He wants to see them run out on the green for him. Yeah, no, there's no question about it. He said. In an interview, he said, I want my kids to see what dad used to do so they can kind of think, hey, that's sort of neat or something to that effect. Now, it's just it's just lucky that it wasn't Elon's weekend because that would have. Why why are you going to be that way? I I don't know his arrangement with Elon, but still, they were there. It's great. (laughs) It's great. I'm sure he's. They said he was the kids were with him all week. And yeah. And with that, uh, with whoever his new girlfriend is, I haven't haven't caught a glimpse. of her. I didn't see the new girlfriend, but, you know, I'm always on the prowl for that. All right. Molinari. (laughs) Molinari. Molinari. He was a friggin machine out there on Sunday. Your thoughts. I'm sorry, I didn't catch that last sentence. He was a machine. Molinari was uh, a machine out there. What'd look, you think? Look, yeah, he, look. First of all, he's the best player in the last probably, I guess, month and a half on the planet. His record shows that. I believe he hasn't finished outside the top five, and I believe in that time it's either two or now three wins. So he certainly was coming in playing the best golf he could play. And you know, frankly, he just wasn't in danger at all of making a mistake. So it was a very simple two under par, and um, he hit one shot basically that was in the rough on might have been sixteen, uh, not sixteen. It might have been uh, seventeen or fifteen. And other than that, he just hit it where he was supposed to, and really nothing fell for him. His birdies were both no, but he four, made four, every made every three and four um, footer so out there. Cake. Made every three yeah. and footer, four footer out there, which brings us to Spieth. Now, Spieth must be oh my goodness. the most bitter beer-faced of all the players from Sunday. He threw this thing away. I think it's the haircut that he got 
in town on Sunday morning. Apparently, he wandered into town Sunday morning just because he had a lot of time. He's like, I need a haircut. He, he got some pretty good white walls there, and, and fortunately, it's not too sunny over there to get the uh, burn around his head. He missed but- so many short putts, and it just makes me think, if he's missing those, why should I ever be mad at missing a three-footer? He's a pro. He's been working on this shit nonstop now for over a year to try to get this fixed. He still doesn't have it fixed. What do you think it is with Spieth and short putting? And, you know, it's it, almost all of them are missing to the right. So um, it's interesting. I'll tell you what I think it is. He has a forward press move. And, and actually, um, Mickelson, you know, still has a forward press. But Mickelson went through this same thing a few years ago. might have been six or seven years ago now when we were saying, boy, what happened to Mickelson's putting? And I just do believe, and especially a ball that goes right off the putter, I do believe when there's a forward press, you just put a element of timing into the stroke. And if you forward press and you happen to open at one degree, you're going to miss some putts to the right. And that's what I believe is happening. And I, I think someone just has to say, look, you know, you got to stop this. I know you did it when you were a kid and you were good at it and blah, blah, blah. But we change as we get older. And so I think he has to calm that down. And he has to get the movement out of his hands completely. And let's just get back to square, square. And I think he'll make more of those putts. Also made a tactical error on six. Hitting a wood from the rough. I have no idea why. Off a bad downhill lie. Sprayed it right. Found the only gorse bush on the hole. And if anyone's ever been to Scotland, you know that gorse is the devil's shrubbery. It is the most evil plant I've ever seen and he his ball was so deep into the bush a guy standing right there pointing at it like there's your ball and it took him five minutes to see the ball inside the bush to identify it that's how bad Gorse is and he needed like 12 or 14 band-aids when he got out of there too because he was just (laughs) pricking himself the whole time like he was taking blood it was so, incredible. And then he compounded that by making double after that. It was it was a rare moment, and this is exactly not what I thought would happen, where he did not manage a crisis well. I thought after last year's episode at the Open where he figured everything out and took all that time to go back to the range, that this was the new speed that knows how to manage crises. Not necessarily. Not necessarily because that one really took a lot of wind out of his Yeah, And I think, I think that um... – you know, I think, as I said on our show a few weeks ago, I think a change is coming. And I think if he won this, a change wouldn't come right away. But I think a change is coming. And I think um, what you do know, you mean? he may start out fresh completely. He might go with uh, Greller might be gone and everyone might be gone. And let's face it, Greller's made $5 million. You know, he's a middle school teacher. I think he's going to be fine. Um, <laughs> but I think I think Harmon's going to come into the picture pretty soon. Really? Uh, he's going to work. Cameron work McCormick on out? Saying, Look, hey. Just go hit a 500 million putts until you figure it out. That's, you know, basic Harmon teaching. And I, I think there's going to be a change here. So you think Cameron McCormick, his current teacher, could be out? Teacher since he was just a boy? Yes. Yeah. Wow. I mean, let's face it. He used to be his um, – he was his caddy, right? Was he his caddy? No, I, he wasn't. No, 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 no. That wasn't I don't think his caddy. so. I, I was thinking of uh, – He might have caddied uh, for him Day. once or twice. I was thinking of Jason Day. Okay. I, yeah, I think he's going to be, and I think – you know, McCormick is – Spieth could look at it like Tiger looked at it, like McCormick's got um, other things that he's doing, and maybe he's not concentrating on me as much as he could, and, you know, with the Revolution Golf and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I do. I th- and, and, frankly, I think it might be time for that. You know, if I had a student who, even if I brought him up from the beginning, if they stopped progressing or, um, you know, for a long period of time – I'm not talking for a month – but if you're years where you're you're not progressing and then you start going backwards, you know, it's probably good just to bring someone in as a different eye. I mean, you hear about rock bands and like the Beatles who would bring someone in just as a guest so they would all behave and they'd come <laughs> out with great music. So there's nothing wrong with bringing yeah. someone in just to kind of make you see it a little different way. All right, let's do some quick hitters on uh, the rest of the guys that finished. Uh, Justin Rose, six under. He's He finished T2, Justin Rose. He made the cut, John Rodas, on the number on Friday. Yeah. Impressive. You know, he's a pit bull, but again, it's, you know, if he won, that would have been something spectacular, but it's just a lot easier to play from six strokes back, back than it was from the lead. So um, I give him credit, but it's just an easier place to be at. My boy Rory came up just short. I'm a hopeless fanboy. Rory McIlroy, what do you think? 
love Rory, love the shoes that say nasty on the bottom of all the Nike guys did. Um, Rory's great for the game. And um, you know what? Rory's uh, got a nice balance in life and golf. And maybe that balance isn't going to prove uh, beneficial as much on the golf course, but uh, he'll win again. Kevin Kisner, the late blooming, drawl talking South Carolina guy who's just so unassuming. I'm a huge Kisner fan. He had his chances uh, on Sunday, but didn't couldn't finish. Yeah, and I think Kisner would be, you know, if you if you had him in a bar and you said something wrong, he'd bite your head right off. Um, <laughs> you know, he's just one of those guys. It's kind of like a, a rattlesnake, but you know, he just made a couple of mistakes early and couldn't recover from it. Xander Shuffley, your reigning PGA Tour Rookie of the Year. I had forgotten because we were neck deep in football, Mister Ronis. This kid won the Tour Championship last fall. Not the FedEx Cup, the big thing, but he won the last event of the year against a stacked field, although a short field, and beat Justin Thomas doing it. Impressive. Yeah, I I completely forgot about that, too. But I'll tell you what, he's got a great move. I mean, it's just just an awesome-looking move. It's perfectly balanced, and, um, you know, he looks like that perfect 5'10 height for golf. And um, I was was just incredibly impressed. And I I thought he was going to win for a while there, and then I was rooting for him. You know, just being an American at the end. But, um, you know, Molinari won that golf tournament. He's 24 years old. He came out in the same class as Spieth and Thomas, but he's kind of overlooked because he played at San Diego State. And it's interesting. I thought the network did a poor job of explaining who the hell is Xander Shoffley. Because you look yeah. at him and you think, interesting look. What Does he have an ethnic background that's unique or interesting? And the answer is yes. His dad is German and French. His mom is... Thai and Japanese, so you can wow. call him Germanese, but he's a he's a first you know they're he's American parents, but that's their backgrounds. And right. uh, his dad's you know his parents, uh, is, I think his dad played at some high level soccer in uh, Europe once upon a time, and he played at San Diego State, which is not considered a big power in college golf. They don't suck, yeah, his, but they're not his, a power. His dad and I believe his grandfather were extremely high level athletes yeah one of them was throwing discus or something and the other one was at a like an uh you know an international soccer guy and so he comes from a gene pool that that's very very high end so um you know he'll win i think you need a little swag on the tour to win really and if he gets that i think he'll he'll win oh, some more shit. tournaments he won t- <laughs> he won two events last year so that's yeah, I mean, not too majors, bad i guess all right uh uh, Eddie Pepperell, who admitted that he came to the course hungover, shot five yes. under before anyone was even out there in the early wave. Yeah, and again, it's just easy to do that when you got no expectations. Yeah. So um, you, you don't give them that much. I mean, the, the one that we that you're not going to mention is the guy with the diamonds on his hat and no Kevin Chapel. Yeah, it's unacceptable. My <laughs> wife even said today she goes, "That's a little messy looking." They the Nike right, guys so- the Nikes guys all get dressed by Papa Nike. And they wear whatever shit they give them, whether or not they like it, because they're getting paid. They take the money. There's no way they like those so-called blade collars. And there's no way that Kevin Chappell and Tony Finau and Brooks Kepka like little dots. Dots on their hat. No, no chance. He, he had like the bling like he had just gone into the mall and got some little <laughs> diamonds to tape on his hat. And the other, the other guy, he had like an oatmeal-colored uh, collarless shirt. It was disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. Yeah. So he, he wasn't allowed to win because he had a dressing faux pas. All right. Uh, some other quick uh, little uh, nuggets. First of all, what did you think of the course, given that it was so dry and so bouncy and so dried out? What, what were your thoughts there? You know, I'm not a British Open or Open Championship kind of guy because of that, because I don't seem to follow the ball as well, and then the ball rolls 700 yards. But you know what? <laughs> Having played that golf course and knowing how it can bite, um, I think the score was a perfect score. In fact, you called that score on our show. I did. I said eight was the number, you didn't said eight, I? And I said 11. I thought someone would go two under. You're absolutely right. And I think it's a great number for a uh, major championship. And I thought some of the holes coming in were, were incredibly hard, but then you had 18 where you could make a birdie. 
you know what? I actually thoroughly enjoyed how about, this Open Championship. How about the fact that the RNA just basically sticks a sign in the ground that says first tee and an arrow? And they yeah. and and that's it. They don't need to do much. The USGA, I saw this tweet, somebody said this. The USGA by comparison has every resource at their fingertips just shy of cloud seeding for rain possibilities and yet they still can't get their course setups. Yeah, and decent. did we did we see 22 people on the green with stint meters <laughs> no! measuring it beforehand and no! seeing what the wind gauge was? They had that thing planned Months ago, they're just going to the pubs and saying, I don't care if it blows 80 tomorrow. We're still tucking it on that hole. And I don't care if there's no wind and it's 85 degrees. We're putting it here. They don't care because they know the golf course will yield out of the four days. One of the days will be difficult. The other two might be decent and, you know, something in between. So they do it right. They really do it right. They let the players determine the outcome. They don't give a shit about the score, whereas the USGA, that's all they care about is the score. It's got to be even par. It's got to be even par. And so just two different approaches. I bet they could have prepped that course with literally a skeleton staff. All you'd have to have is a guy cutting the greens. The bunkers, there's not a lot of sand to rake because they're all smallish pot bunkers. And then the fairways don't need to be cut. They're dead. No. No, 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 no. It's just the staff of like six there. guys could prepare that course, and it, it provided a great venue for a major championship. So, okay, yeah. so there we go on the British. Uh, I'd, I'd give, I'd say, give me a preview on Bell Reeve, but I know damn well you have not done any preview on Bell Reeve. So, why don't Absolutely you give our, none. why don't you give our listeners, give our listeners one golf tip out there that a one size fits all, all ages, all abilities. All levels of golfer, whether you play once a year or a hundred times a year, give one good golf tip. You know, I'll tell you one that you don't hear about that much in the Open Championship showed a little bit around the green when there was some heavier grass. And that is when you hit your chip shots and your pitch shots around the green, grip the club with some force. Because when you're in heavy rough, Southern players are in Bermuda uh, we up here in the spring and the fall get a, a very thick bladed uh, like bluegrass or whatever we get or a fescue of some sort. And too often people are trying to hit this out of some heavy rough with a light grip and that club twists all over the place. And so you get de-lofting or extra loft, mainly de-lofting, and the ball just can't be controlled. So be very aware that when you're in the rough and you're hitting a pitch or a chip shot, grip that club with authority so that you can go through without the club twisting. There you go. One size fits all. And for more personalized instruction, those here in the Northern Virginia, D.C. area, go out and see Johnny at River Creek at the Ronus Golf Academy. Website, insert here, go. RonusGolfAcademy.com. I love it. All right, Johnny, good to talk, bud, as always. Thanks, Dave. We'll talk to you. We'll end with this today. I'm not sure if you saw this on the Internet, but it's out there. Apparently, Roseanne sat down with some interviewer for a television clip or two, a video clip or two, explaining herself in the wake of the Valerie Jarrett tweet that cost her her show. And also, going back to our theme from earlier, cost uh, very good jobs for a number of people that helped produce the show. Um, They are now going to reboot the show, I believe, or at least they've gotten the green light to reboot the show without her in it. But I don't know how far that's going to go. Roseanne's crazy. She is a whacked out bag of dated Xanax that should be thrown away. Here's her, here is two different responses to why did you tweet what you tweeted about Valerie Jarrett, the former White House communications director. Uh, this was the first clip, and then I'll play the second clip. Okay, here we go. Hello, hello. Give me a level. Okay, that's good. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Okay. Oh, Smoking a grit. You said I'm in three outfits. Well, here's the problem. Like, imagine. A, Are you filming? Yeah. yeah. Imagine Tussled a hair. presidential address. Like, you're busted with a killing a hooker. Like, whatever, right? What? Just, no, hear me out. And they say, tonight, the president's going to give his address. And, they, and then the camera fades out, and it's fucking the president on his desk in the Oval Office. And he's like, I did not have sex with that hooker, right? Imagine in his statement to keep and save his job, there were jump cuts, multiple outfits, 
different sex. I'm trying to talk about Iran. I'm trying to talk about Valerie Jarrett wrote the Iran deal. I know, but you've told me this 300 times. Do you know that a... That's what my tweet was about. I know. You've explained mm. this literally 300 times. I thought the bitch was white. <laughs> God damn it. I thought the bitch was white. <laughs> Fuck. Either she is flat crazy or she is a great actress to sell that. Because it it looks legit. Here was her more Hi, polished this apology. this is Roseanne Barr. And I'd like to welcome you to my own studio where I'm able to speak for myself to my fellow and sister Americans without the filter of the biased media. Oh, boy. This was my statement from the very beginning, and it will continue to be forever because it is the truth. When ABC called and asked me to explain my egregious and unforgivable tweet, I told them I thought Valerie Jarrett was white. And I also said, and I'm willing to go on The View, Jimmy Kimmel, or whatever other show you want me to go on and explain that to my audience. Now, instead what happened was about 40 minutes after that, my show was canceled before even one advertiser pulled out and I was labeled a racist. Why, you ask? Well, the answer is simple. It's because I voted for Donald Trump and that is not allowed in Hollywood. Mm. So there was that. (laughs) Which one do you believe? This one? There were jump cuts, multiple outfits, I'm trying to talk about Iran. I'm trying to talk about Valerie Jarrett wrote the Iran deal. I know, but you've told me this 300 times. Do you know that a... That's what my tweet was about. I know. You've explained this literally 300 times. I thought the bitch was white. God damn it. I thought the bitch was white. I'm sorry. That bite is going to be used. If not by me, it's going to be used by a lot of people for a long time all right that'll do it for today you know the drill tell two friends hit up your local reddit thread message board hit up our reddit thread our subreddit uh zabecast has a subreddit that's right and uh talk about how great this is leave a positive review and rating download subscribe to all the major podcast outlets itunes google play and more i understand google has finally unsorted things on their end also always remember the nfl wants you to call them preseason games not exhibitions Okay, that's why I go out of my way to call them practice games just to further piss them off. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.